Here we go. Episode number 75. Time flies when you have fun. Are you interested to expand your business into Asian markets? Then this episode might be for you. Yes. And also what's interesting or very lucrative in Singapore is that Singapore is the gateway to Southeast Asia. In this episode, I'm talking with Lisa Stöger from Chin Austria. As program manager of the Global Incubator Network Austria, short Chin, Lisa Stöger has successfully connected the Austrian startup ecosystem with the world's most innovative startup hubs for the last four years. With a focus on Asian markets, she supports Austrian startups in their internationalization and market entry and introduces them to relevant international stakeholders. Since 2016, Chin, co-managed by AWS and FFG in Austria, has been the contact point for startups regarding expansion from Austria to Asia and vice versa. Over 300 startups have benefited from the customized chain services and internationalization programs. With her interdisciplinary academic background in politics and economics in Vienna and York in the UK, Lisa is passionate about identifying cooperation potentials between international organizations and public institutions and is eager to apply these to promote startups and boost innovation. What are the topics we discuss in this episode? We cover seven different ecosystems in Europe and in Asia. Austria, Israel, China, Hong Kong, Singapore, Japan, and South Korea. Enjoy the show. Welcome to a new episode of the Beginner's Mind podcast. Today, it's all about creating connections globally between Europe slash Austria and Asia. And I'm very happy to have a very special guest here in this episode today. It's Lisa Stöger from Chin Austria. Thank Hello, you very Lisa. much. Hi, thank you very much, Christian, for the invitation. Happy to, to talk with you about global connections. It's good to see you. The first time when I heard... Um, the Global Incubation Network Austria, which is uh, the long form of GIN, for somehow reason, uh, always James Bond pops up in my mind. I don't know why. Um, the the thing is, uh, it, it was not gin. His, I think his favorite drink was, was it martini? Steered martini, or something? martini, yes, exactly. Vodka and, martini, I guess. <laughs> and for some reason, gin always reminds me on this vodka martini of James Bond. So every time when we talk, uh, I'm a little bit in the um, James Bond mood. Uh, can you give me background to why uh, the Global Incubation Beta Network uh, selected this term chin. I think it was not for associations with James Bond originally. <laughs> no, it wasn't, uh, unfortunately, um, for all the James Bond fans. But yes, whenever I think of chin, I always think about startups and internationalization. Mm. So the Global Incubator Network Austria, or as you said, chin is was initiated already in 2015 by the Austrian federal government. And now over the last six years, we connect the Austrian startup ecosystem with selected hotspots in Asia. So back then there was identified a need and awareness of startup internationalization and that we want to support 
startup expansion. And as we have a special focus in Asia was because there are some initiatives already for startups to expand in Europe and then to the US market. And it's also the more, more common way that startups tend to expand further from Austria to Germany, then to Europe, other European markets like UK and then US. But Asia offers many potentials or many opportunities. And this is why we focus on the Asian markets. Uh, Asia is a, is, a, is a huge area. Um, and we now moved from James Bond to the startup world, which is uh, similar, exciting, like the movies. Um, can you describe a little bit more in detail uh, in which areas of uh, the Asian continent Chin is operating? Yes, sure. So also maybe just upfront some details about Chin. So Chin is a program or network managed by the two main public funding agencies of Austria, which is the Austrian Promotional Bank, also known as Austria Wirtschaftsservice, AWS. And it is also managed by the Austri Austrian Research Promotion Agency, Österreichische Forschungsförderungsgesellschaft. And we have a special focus on Asia, but we concentrate at the moment at six target regions, which are mainland China, Hong Kong, Singapore, South Korea, Japan, and also Israel. And with this target region, we work together. We have corporate partners over there and we support startup ex exchange and startup internationalization. So on the one hand, Austrian startups are supported from us strategically and financially to internationalize to our gene target regions in Asia. And also Asian startups from our target regions have the chance to internationalize to the European market towards Austria. So this is basically what we do. That's great to hear. I always wondered... Um... During the pandemic, I mean, it was quite clear how business uh, functioned globally before the pandemic. Uh, my life, it was mostly traveling, going to conferences, speaking to interested parties from all walks of life. And in March 2020, everything uh, was put on hold. Let's put it that way. Um, what was your perception with uh, the Global Incubator uh, Network of how the way people dealt with uh, each other in business, how, how did that evolve in your network? Yes, definitely. March 2020 was, yeah, was the beginning of a new era. And also now, let's say we still in the same, in, in the same period of time and it has developed to the new, new normal. Of course, we followed the covid developments and the COVID um, pandemic already in Asia at back then in December 2019. But who has, who, who has thought that it will come over to Europe and the US and still affects the entire planet? But how has our network and our also our, our work has changed since then? So at first, everything was really shut down. So everything was more concentrated and focused on the individual 
things. So the exchange between our international partners in Asia was not that intense and regularly anymore, but it quickly started to, to continue after a few weeks. So back in summer 2020, we already were in contact and in touch with our international partners. And we also, we had actually, we had to adapt to the, to the pandemic and to the new normal. So we had to adapt our services. So looking back over the last two years, it is thankfully quite astonishing that startup expansion is still is still going and is, is still working so austrian startups do not uh, stop with their expansion plans so they do want to expand to the asian markets although it is difficult to travel to asia because of all the travel restrictions but we can see that uh, it still works without being without meeting people in person anymore because everything is now on a digital basis and everyone meets virtually. So it still works, which is good. Yeah, there are, I think there are some upsides of the development. One is the acceptance of uh, digital means of communication like Zoom. I mean, we are having our conversation now also on Zoom uh, besides being in the same city. So it saves a whole lot of time. And I think it works very well for existing business relationships. So people who know each other for years, over years learns that when they have the calls via Zoom, they don't need to move between places. So it saves uh, as a minimum, I would say one to two hours uh, travel time. And as a maximum, when I think back uh, much before March, 2020, also, went for lunches in London, which basically uh, was one whole day gone. Um, how did you perceive the development of business relations? I mean, what I always wondered was, uh, is it possible via the digital world to create new connections, new business connections right from the start without ever meeting in, in real life? How did you see that with Jin? With Jin, maybe we can also talk about this later on. So of mm -hmm. course, the Asian markets, there are some cultural differences and also cultural business differences to uh, against the European market. So there are some aspects uh, where even virtual meetings and or digital meetings and uh, creating new contacts and establishing new business contacts just on a virtual basis is not always as fruitful as we think or as we hope. So, and I think this is based on the cultural business differences, but we can talk about it a bit later. Well, why, it, why the digital world or how we have adapted to the, to the, to the pand pandemic consequences is that First of all, there is no other way than if you if you cannot tra um, travel, if you cannot enter a country, then of course you have to do it online via Zoom and other other call tools, and you can be much more efficient. So this is what I have experienced the most: that things are things are done way faster and in a way more efficient way because 
you just set up a, a short call. You can still, you can call at any time. You don't have to travel. Most meet and the meetings do have a purpose and make sense. So all the meetings that are not necessary are have vanished and are now just email conversations or just uh, other written communication. So you really want to make the most out of the meetings. So people concentrate on what is the purpose, what is the goal, what is the aim of the meeting, what do, how do we want to uh, work on in a partnership, in a business partnership. So this is definitely one of the positive aspects I've experienced. Now, this is a key point. I read an article yesterday, which is attributed to Elon Musk. Um, his seven rules of uh, having meetings. And the first point was uh, always have an agenda, always have a purpose in the meeting and don't invite too many people to, <laughs> to the meeting. And this is exactly what you, what you said. I think if this is a, one, probably one of the positive outcomes of the pandemic. When we look uh, to the, you mentioned these similarities and differences between the ecosystems in Austria versus Asia. And you mentioned a few countries that you're operating in. And I noticed down mainland China, um, Japan, South Korea, uh, Hong Kong, interestingly, as a separate region, and Israel. I think these are different cultures uh, that we're talking about. And maybe we go through each one separately. And let's start with Israel. Well, what I found interesting is that uh, I associated Israel with Europe more than with Asia. And then you mentioned Israel belongs to Asia. How how do you see the culture in Israel? Is it a great linking point between the European thinking and uh, East Asia? Yes, let's start with the closest region, which is, uh, yes, exactly, Israel. And I totally understand Israel is... Or maybe we can describe Israel as Euro-Asian market. Israel has, of course, a very interesting and also maybe sometimes not a very easy cultural background. So first of all, you have in Israel kind of like two words the very historic, traditional Israeli ecosystem and then the more modern international ecosystem. Israel as market is similar to the Austrian market, which is rather small, to be fair. But Israel is a great entry point to, to expand globally. So most startups in Israel are in Israel to just expand globally. So all Israeli startups know that they that Israel is too small to to be active and to do business. So they are immediately working on their global expansion strategies. And of course, um, there's always one most important startup hub, and in Israel it's Tel Aviv. And Tel Aviv has an enormous high number of startups and also a very high number of venture capital firms. So the VCs, there are so many VCs and there is a lot of risk capital invested into Israeli startups because they definitely have the, the drive and the strategy to go immediately or as soon as possible global. 
So this is something which is quite interesting to, to follow in Israel. And they also have quite a high number of unicorns. I just looked it up. So I think they just had in 2021 three, uh, 33 new unicorns just in one year, which is quite an impressive number. But looking back or comparing it to the, to the Austrian or other European startup ecosystems, Israel is a, is a market that's too small, but Israel is a very interesting market to learn and to go global from Israel. While you were speaking, I tried looking up an article I wrote a couple of days ago uh, that tackled uh, the topic of the tremendous amount of unicorns that happened last year and just didn't find it. You mentioned 33 unicorns came out of Israel alone. And we also had some successes here in Austria. I think Big Banda was one of the, the, the local unicorns, the local stars. And Israel and Austria have, I think, very much in common when you look at the size uh, mm. of the country, also in terms of uh, natural resources. There is basically nothing there. And what I always was surprised, I mean, also in Austria, we don't have much, I think, uh, like other countries or African countries. And what I always was surprised in Israel is... Uh, this attitude of uh, becoming successful and going global right mm -hmm. after. It's good to hear that you perceive it the same way. And I think this is something that also Austrian startups can learn from. The Austrian market is uh, very small. And if any startup wants to become successful, they have to think globally right from the start. I think it's a, it's a great exactly. learning point. Exactly. Yes. Uh, Israel, maybe that's just a fun side note. Israel has its own silicon Vadi, which is basically the component to mm -hmm. the Silicon Valley, because they really have so many startups to support and help to expand globally on a very, very early stage on. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Now it's an important mindset, uh, how to become successful. Don't think locally, act globally immediately. And uh, think also Europe. I mean, we have more in common with the other countries uh, than um, there are differences. What you mentioned was Tel Aviv as a, as, a, as a hub in Israel, as a startup hub. And I was smiling because I thought even Tel Aviv has this beautiful beach and it always reminds me of Barcelona. And mm -hmm. how can people work there? I mean, summer, summertime, uh, <laughs> spring. How is the how is the work culture in Tel Aviv? Yes, first of all, you have to be aware of the traditional or religious differences. So in Israel, you have the, the work the working week starts on Sunday. So they work from Sunday to Thursday because um, due to Shabbat on Friday, Friday and Saturday are non-working days. But 
international companies also tend to have a working time from Monday to Friday. So this is why I always say you have to differentiate, differentiate between the two ecosystems. So on the one hand, you have the traditional one, and on the other hand, the more, more international one. So there are some companies, they only work um, have working hours from Sunday to Thursday, and then the other ones have the same as most over the world from Monday to Friday. So yeah, be aware of that. So, and if you, you if you're an international partner working with an Israeli company and you need something on Friday, it might be that you won't get any answer because it is only from Sunday to Thursday they're available. And in Tel Aviv, we also so this is what we um, what we offer from Jin. So we have those internationalization programs called Go Asia and Go Austria. Go Asia is for all Austrian startups that want to internationalized to Asia and Go Austria is for all Asian startups and Israeli startups um, that want to expand to Austria. So Go Tel Aviv is our program in Israel. And with Go Tel Aviv, we bring very early stage startups from Austria to Tel Aviv because we think that Tel Aviv has such an is such an interesting innovation hub where international talent and international talent is shaped that people are prepared what it really needs what the what the what it, what a good mindset is necessary to bring your startup to make your startup successful on an international level the mindset is an important part uh, you mentioned silicon valley and uh, if i got it right silicon body in body exactly in tel aviv and a friend of mine who was in a podcast a couple of months ago um, also got the question, what's the uh, the uniqueness in the Silicon Valley mindset? And his answer was um, that whenever he talked with entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley, um, the first questions they ask is who's going to paying for the product or service. So they immediately think in terms of customer. And he said, when he talks with European entrepreneurs, one of the first questions to raise is how does this comply to the GDPR rules? So this was his explanation to uh, show the differences between the mindset. Uh, what's your opinion on the Silicon Valley or Silicon Valley mindset? How does that function? How does the Silicon Valley mindset function? I'll guess, I, of course, they are very ambitious otherwise they wouldn't call Israel wouldn't have a Silicon Valley or would would name themselves to have a Silicon Valley so they are definitely very ambitious as I said with the high number of VCs there is a lot of risk capital that is available to invest into startups and also into startups at a very early stage on mm -hmm. So there is a lot of trust and ambition and just motivation to boost innovation and to trust into startups in general, which is in their mind needed to be successful and to be known on the international 
markets also in comparison to others. And I think also think that their mindset is actually, even though they're such a small market as Austria is, they want to be, they want to compete with the big markets. They don't see themselves as too small and they want, and they don't see them that they aren't able to compete in the, in, in the highest ranks. Yeah, I think I agree to that. I think, uh, the ability to compete with other companies is not limited by the size of the country the company started in. So it doesn't really matter where people start from. Sometimes it's even better to have more hardship along the way because it uh, shapes uh, talent better than uh, getting everything served. You mentioned the amount of venture capital that is available and I found my article. I mean, uh, last last year globally, uh, venture funding reached a record high of over $600 billion uh, investment in companies in just one year. And Andres and Horowitz uh, raised lately $9 billion for their funds. And when uh, I started in Europe in the life science startup ecosystem, it was in 2006, I mean, there was nothing close to that number. And I think in 2012 in Europe for all life science investments, uh, the number was 8 billion. Uh, how do you perceive the availability of venture capital in 2022 as uh, the global incubator network? I think also 2021 was in Austria, definitely a very extraordinary year in terms of venture capital and um, startup fundraising and investment rounds. So we are also we are also coming <laughs> coming and and, th and know what we have to do as startup ecosystem. What we don't have to, uh, what we shouldn't forget is that in Austria we do have a lot of a lot of potential in pre-seed and seed financing. So we have very, very good public funding initiatives for pre-seed and seed financing. So um, just for instance, as the Austrian Promotional Bank has, he has very good services for pre-seed and seed financing for startups. But I, I would wish, or I wish for Austria that we don't stop in, in startup support so that we also concentrate on that we have to focus and support startups also in their later stages. Because sometimes it is not that easy for a startup to overcome or to, to go further after seed financing. And maybe we can focus on this a bit more. I couldn't agree more. Austria is a great place. I mean, just talking about life science, Austria is a great place to start life science companies. Um, public funds are available and very helpful. It always worked very extremely well since 2006. Uh, the only thing that I'm still missing here in Austria are later stage, later stage funds, because there's Series A funds, Series B funds, so for clinical development. I think we still have... Um, only two funds that are linked to Austria or three funds that are linked to Austria. It's Harrier Ventures, Walter Stockinger, then Swellington Partner, uh, Regina Hoditz, and also Christoph Lenger, our preferred rock ventures, although he operates out of the United States, has closed eyes to Austria. Um, do you see any movement here in Austria that uh, more funds are started for later stage companies? Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host Matt Heslin brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. I see that there are definitely negotiations um, going on and also more thought, there is more thought and more, how shall I say it? So more thoughts and more consideration about the startup ecosystem and how to support entrepreneurs' um, innovation in general. So I can I I do believe there is much going on and there is mu much planned. So let's hope that they also uh, there will be new initiatives arising from and maybe other other services um, coming from that. I hope so. Banks, insurance companies, pension funds get going <laughs> and invest your money. <laughs> um, we have now tackled two ecosystem so the austrian one uh and the israeli ecosystem now to something completely different um the asian ecosystem so the real asian ecosystem like china japan and south korea or hong kong um the story in life science i was uh, explaining to scientific founders was start in austria make the first steps uh get your proof of principle of proof of concept in preclinical development and then you have to find funds elsewhere not in Austria, but maybe in Europe. And if you want to scale really big and want to build a pipeline, go to the United States. So this was basically the, the straightforward storytelling. Um, China made a really interesting development over the last two decades. And since 2015, I saw a lot going on. Uh, every time when I travel to China, to the uh, Shanghai, Beijing, Hong Kong area, um, every city looked different. They uh, built at hyperspeed buildings that uh, I as a European could hardly imagine is possible. And I think also the startup ecosystem evolved and the venture capital systems evolved. Can you explain a little bit more what's going on in China and Hong Kong? Yes. Uh, so mainland China is actually one of our um, newest target regions. So we started in 2019 to offer our Go Asia programs in mainland China. So which are Go Shanghai, Go Beijing and Go Shenzhen. So these are the three cities we are working with. And then we have a separate Go Hong Kong. And as you said, yes, Hong Kong is has a very special um, situation as it has this uh, one country, two system regulation and is definitely the gateway to mainland China. And as you said, China has, the, the, it, has it has changed a lot within the last 
20, 30 years. I just want to give one example. So for instance, in Shenzhen, which was back in the 80s, it was a small fisherman's village. And now it is responsible for 80% of all hardware. So 80% of all hardware in the entire world is produced in and manufactured in Shenzhen. And this within 40 years. So this is very impressive. And China has also kind of similar to Israel, two systems. As it is a huge market, they have the Chinese ecosystem and the international ecosystem, which also means for startups, especially for Chinese startups. Chinese startups have, on the one hand, opportunities in the Chinese ecosystem. So they have the opportunities to raise and uh, get Chinese capital. And on the other hand, they have also the opportunities for international capital and international opportunities in the international ecosystem. So we also have to split China into two ecosystems. And as we work with Shanghai and Beijing, primarily in mainland China, Shanghai is the biggest harbor uh, in the world. So there it is, we want, or what do we aim for? We want to show startups that even though China might have a very difficult impression just because of the language is different, uh, the, the alphabet is a different one, but we want to take the fear that even from Europe, you are able to be successful in China. And what is in general very important to know in Asia, especially in mainland China, Austria it is known, especially the brand made in Austria. Made in Austria is very well known for good, high quality and also good and very, very good um, services. So employees from Austria are very well known for being taught and trained very well. China is definitely an interesting uh, economy. And I like the culture. So I'm trading with the Shaolin monks. They have a subsidiary here in uh, Bacher Park, close to my apartment. And I gave learning the language a try a couple of years ago. And uh, <laughs> no way I will ever learn that. I mean, they have more than 5,000 characters um, to use in writing. Uh, the language has, uh, also when they speak, they have. Uh, it sounds like singing. So they have uh, different tones, more tones than mm -hmm. the German and English language have. So when I think about business, it's very easy for Austrians. I mean, we start learning English in school and uh, to make up the difference, uh, to at least understand American people and people in the United Kingdom is possible and uh, to mix and mingle with the locals. Chinese, in my opinion, is a different game. Uh, how do you how do you perceive the, uh, the the chances for Austrians to really connect at a deep level with uh, Chinese people uh, in regard to the language barrier? Yes, with regard to the language barrier, that is definitely a a good concern. However, also with this, we do support 
And so, for instance, if startups want to dive into the Chinese market and want to know whether their product and their service could work on the Chinese market with our Go Shanghai or Beijing program, they will get an insights into all the relevant topics. So business culture, language barriers. So we have a couple of German-speaking lawyers in, in mainland China with whom we're cooperating. So this is also something which is, which is important in mainland China. Whenever you sign a business contract or whenever you have a cooperation agreement, it has always be in, English, uh, in, in Chinese at least. So only English contracts are not possible. This is why you always need to have a lawyer who in the best case understands both language, languages very well and is probably also best to have an international lawyer on board. So we do support with them. So this is something which is also different to other Asian markets that in Mainland China, you need to have a Chinese contract. What is also different is I'd like to I, I'd like to say speed is king, and speed is definitely king in mainland China. So everything is moving very, very fast. So if you're interested in doing business in mainland China, be make sure to do your homework, to do your research. Make sure that you identify your competitors, identify your market size, your customers. And also, we might come to this a bit later, mainland China does work differently. So marketing and branding is completely different than in, in, Austria, in Austria, Europe, or even the US. So for, just to give a very simple example, Facebook doesn't work. <laughs> In, in mainland China. So, yes. Is it really a problem? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not really a problem, but just in terms of uh, social media, for instance, you have completely different platforms mm -hmm. and especially as marketing has, uh, marketing is now working pretty much on social media or also much on social media channels. So this is something you just have to be aware of. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. I think the Chinese government made an interesting move in uh, helping first the local social media platforms uh, to evolve before they let in the more evolved uh, platforms uh, from the United States. Uh, Europe did it differently. So China has now social media platforms similar in size to Facebook, YouTube, um, and all the other platforms that uh, I forgot the names of them. Uh, Europe, I think we don't have any, any anymore. 
So China has some, has some advantages in their approaches that they really also help their local companies evolving. You mentioned the, the language barrier and the thought that popped up in my mind is, I mean, when we bring companies together in Europe, for example, German companies, Austrian companies, French companies, Spanish companies, and also work with Chinese companies, we then end up with contracts in six or seven languages. Because also I think in Europe still, we have to have a local copy. So in German, in French, in Spanish, uh, and all the other Eastern European languages. I hope in future we can simplify the process and agree on one language in business. It would make life especially for startups, were much simpler and much easier. Do you see also uh, these language problems uh, in negotiating then contracts that uh, young startup companies with uh, not much capital who should focus on bringing the company forward need immediately support from lawyers from seven, eight different countries? As I said, in mainland China, you have to have a Chinese version, but in the other regions, we are working with so Hong Kong and Singapore, for instance, it, the business language is mainly English and there it is totally fine to just have an English contract. So I think that Hong Kong and Singapore are way more advanced already in terms of in terms of uh, agreements in English uh, and having English just set as a business language. That's, that's good news. I think it's very helpful to just have one language in the contracts and also as a negotiation language uh, than having uh, several interpreters. Can we stay with Singapore? How is the ecosystem in Singapore? Yes, Singapore is, it is known as a very technology advanced country, nation, and with its free economy. So it just has... I think it's the it's the freest economy. It was Hong Kong quite long, but I think um, Singapore just uh, was ranked first in 2021. So Singapore is not too big population wise. So I think about five million people, but there is a lot of international talent there. And Singapore is special because it is so international. You have four different languages in Singapore, but pretty much everything works in English. It is known for having good talent in FinTech, for instance. So in Singapore, you... In Singapore, you are in the most international market in Asia, to my mind. And as it's not too big, the ecosystem is quite similar to the Austrian one. So you always meet people you already know. So even though you think you're in a huge city, uh, you will come across now and then the same people, which is actually quite funny because you always think, okay, it must be super busy and it might be hard to even connect with people, but especially in the startup community, at every event, you meet the same people. There are some other advantages in Singapore. I just looked up the tax rate and the tax system. Singapore personal tax rate started at 0%, similar to Austria. I think also we have a 0% class and is kept at 22% above $320,000 for residents and a flat rate of 15 to 22% for non-residents. 
that's pretty much amazing. It is, yes. It's text-wise, it is very different and also um, very lucrative for startups. That's true, yes. Yeah, no wonder that uh, a lot of the digital ecosystems uh, moved to Singapore. I always wondered why that is, and now I understand. I mean, mm. 32% tax rate compared, I think, also in the US, I think the highest tax rate is still 40, 45%, something. Yes. And also, what's interesting or very lucrative in Singapore is that Singapore is the gateway to Southeast Asia, as it is also rather small but it has such a strategic location. So from Singapore, you can have, you have Malaysia, Indonesia, um, you have the Philippines, you have so many markets just around the corner. Markets and beautiful cultures and uh, (laughs) nice, nice beaches. So it's uh, definitely worth considering. Let's move on to the next ecosystem. Uh, You mentioned already Hong Kong. How is Hong Kong doing these days? Hong Kong is population-wise similar to Singapore, I think with about 7 million people. It has it is has also a strategic location in the Greater Bay Area, so it is definitely the gateway to mainland China. And yeah, Hong Kong... This is why I always separate between mainland China and Hong Kong, because Hong Kong is part of the Greater Bay Area. And then you have mainland China with Shanghai, Beijing, and then you have rest of China. In Hong Kong, you are also a bit more international because it is a more international nation. You have, I think they are also doing quite well with unicorns. I think they have nine unicorns at the moment. And it is the second biggest harbor. It is one of the most important fintech hubs in Asia. So this is also why we have, there are so many fintech startups in Hong Kong. We also offered a fintech startup program, Go Hong Kong and Singapore back in 2020, because it was, we thought it might be interesting to have just fintech startups and showing them both ecosystems as the fintech industry is growing over there and is in, in and is very interesting. What else can I say to Hong Kong? With Hong Kong, you always Hong Kong is a good entry point in Asia. And from Hong Kong, you have a better chance to enter mainland China as well. So I suggest to always go first to Hong Kong and get an get an idea. And then you can further expand to mainland China. I, I think that's the it's the easier way. I think going to to other ecosystems just to, to to get it straight doesn't mean you uh, jump on an airplane and then fly there for a weekend and then come back with uh, ten different contracts. I think it means uh, opening an office. So um, really having a a global rep- uh, a local representation and not just trying to to build business here from Austria is that the right perception that going to other ecosystems means creating subsidiaries of course this is the ultimate goal so if you want to be globally successfully of course it would be great or this is the how you kind of like also measure 
global success to have your subsidiaries over there. With our Go Asia initiative, we want to give startups the first, the first, first insights and to how just to get an impression of the market. Our programs last for about one week. And in this one week, startups have the chance to connect with the local startup ecosystem, with the local startup community in the new market, uh, with pitch and networking events. They have the opportunity to already present themselves, the startups to international VCs, investors, corporates, find new customers. We also organize individual business meetings for them that they already have their first leads. And then it's up to the startups to do their homework, basically, to stay in contact, to find out and evaluate if a corporation makes sense. Many startups follow or many startups try to have joint ventures, which is a good start at the beginning to have a local partner over there and then in the next steps they aim to have a subsidiary in in the market as well yeah i think it's good for managing the expectations to describe the process as you did that uh, the go region programs are for getting a first insight to get to know the local partners to start the first joint ventures afterwards and then as a third step to create local representations and not to go into a program with the expectation that uh, everything is done after one week yes also maybe this is something you shouldn't uh we shouldn't be too naive although everything is working virtually very good as well at some point you need to be there as in person so this is what we experienced after the two years of the pandemic. It is still necessary to be there, especially if you really want to enter a cooperation agreement with an international partner. You can discuss everything in calls, even though with in video calls. But at some point, you need to be there in person before you really enter a new cooperation, if you, if you have to sign a contract. So it is good to be on site in the end and to because then you just get a better feeling i think my recommendation is always to have a little bit of a thought process before trying to enter a country if this is really something that the founders are keen of pursuing for at least a decade so in the end if these first business trips are successful it really means that the founders have to travel back and forth for the next 10 to 20 years if they want to build the company between these two regions and it doesn't mean traveling doesn't mean going there for a weekend trip it sometimes means staying there for one or two months or six months a year uh, is this also still a valid uh, assumption a business assumption before entering a country that also with the pandemic and after the pandemic, local representations and being also as a founder or executive of a company, very often in the local market uh, does matter. I think you can do a lot already in advance. So if you have done your research very thoroughly, then the most important part is done to really identify your competitors if your solution is on the new market as well already. Um, does your solution works the same way? Do you need to have adapted because the, the customers are 
different, so your target group act differently can be true or can be very likely be, let's put it this way. And if you have done everything of that, then make sure that you have enough time and also resources to, to focus on your expansion plan. So just, you cannot, because once you're in the new market and you have connected with new people and new partners, you have to focus on them also further on and you have to continue in con to be in contact with them because only new corporations will um, will come to a positive result and solution if you are if you're focusing on that. So don't have the impression of you join one of our Go Asia programs and you be there and you are interested in entering this new market then and you have made your con contacts, then you have to stay in contact with your new connections. This is something, um, this is one of my advice to everyone who wants to expand to a new market. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. It reminds me of my first job um, after graduating in merger acquisition and um, I was responsible for Eastern European countries and uh, I tried to manage everything via email and telephone from the Viennese office and my boss back then uh, every time she checked into my office and uh, asked for them what are you doing in the office I say yeah everything is running fine and I get emails we have nice phone calls and they always say everything is fine And she grinned and said, yeah, good luck with that. And uh, after a week, I understood what she meant. Uh, being in an international company means that uh, just picking up the phone and having a phone call isn't enough. So it's always necessary to meet people in person uh, and to understand what problems they have and to help them solving the problems. So this is, I think, still valid 20 years later in the digital world. And it's good to hear that uh, human beings are still the same and uh, that internationalization means traveling and meeting people. And they hope we can do that soon. Let's move on to the next ecosystem. Uh, when it comes to traveling, uh, it's also a very beautiful country, Japan. <laughs> How is the startup ecosystem in Japan? Yes, Japan, very beautiful market, a beautiful country and very interesting market as well. Japan is maybe cultural-wise or business cultural-wise different to Hong Kong and Singapore. So when we, or how can we kind of like summarize all the Go Asia markets is that Singapore and Hong Kong is definitely easier in terms of that cultural culture, business culture is similar to Western countries. In Japan, you have also a language barrier. So Japanese is mostly spoken also in business uh, meetings. So it's always good to have a translator on board in Japan. And yes, and don't be... Don't be surprised if people don't speak English. Of course, in the startup ecosystem over there, especially international startups, young startups, young people are, of course, able to speak in English. I don't want to, I want, 
don't want to give you a wrong picture of Japan, but it might be that older people might might not speak as good English as you wanted them to have. And in Japan, you have also, Austria is also very well known, especially for especially because of Austria's culture and music. So Japan are really fans of Austria and the Austrian culture and its music. So this is a this is a positive aspect. And the also industry-wise, they're very advanced in in robotics and also kind of like and they're also very into Austrian health care or health tech technologies so here you can also have you you also have the made in Austria as a very good brand that it means high quality I totally agree um, Japan has a very interesting culture and I think it's always a good advice to respect the local culture when entering a country and get some training beforehand especially when it comes to Japan um, the Japanese language I perceive as if somebody really wants to move to Japan, uh, talking and understanding Japanese is possible. It's easier than Chinese language. Writing is pretty much the same problem. So I think it takes about 10 years minimum of uh, daily practice to being able to read a newspaper that is similar to, um, let's say, Kronenzeitung or Sun um, <laughs> in, in Europe. It's very challenging. It's very difficult. But Japan is one of the safest countries of the world, in my opinion. Yes. Crimes basically don't exist there. And uh, this is a, is a great thing that just to walk around everywhere and uh, without having to fear that something happens. So there is a lot of upside in the Japanese culture. It is also, it has one of the highest, uh, uh, of, I'm one of the oldest populations. So also age-wise, um, Japanese people are very healthy, I guess. Good food, healthy lifestyle. So exactly, yeah. You can learn a lot from, from, from Japan. Yes, and, and, it, and it also has very fun gadgets. So you get so you have so many different, maybe some very funny things you probably wouldn't think of that you have to have such things in in Austria. So for instance, you can ha you have lockers for umbrellas at train stations. <laughs> Yeah, but not only in Japan, I think also in uh, Shanghai, also in, in, in Hong Kong. Every time when I traveled to this region in Asia, it felt like a trip to the future. So <laughs> yes. when I compare it here with Vienna, I always thought, I mean, Europe is advanced in the United States. But uh, I still think that the East, the Chinese East Coast, Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong, South Korea, are 10 years in the future. So when every, mm -hmm. anybody who wants to experience future technology, take a trip to Asia. And this brings us to, I think, the, I think it's the last country that you mentioned uh, at the beginning on the list. It's South Korea. And South Korea is also amazing. I was not very often there, but uh, the first time I traveled to South Korea, when we... Um, had the bus ride from the airport to the city center. Um, I asked the question, okay, where does the city end and the countryside begin? And uh, people said, uh, well, basically South Korea is one big city. <laughs> it's uh, 50 million people, I think, living mm -hmm. on the same area 
than Austria has. Um, in Austria, we have 9 million people. Um, how do you perceive South Korea? Yes, it's a, that's, a good, uh, that's a good description that South Korea is one big city. Yes, from Seoul, even, yeah. Capital city Seoul definitely is the, the place to be if you want to enter the Korean market. And yes, you are, you can be in different cities very quickly. So it is just a three hours drive and you're already at the border of the other, uh, on of the, uh, yeah, already in the border of the country. So Seoul is ve very, innovative and interesting it has similar to mainland china for instance also its own its own social media apps so for instance they don't use google maps they use line instead and they also have kakao app which is a communication tool like whatsapp and also you can order everything so online shopping is done on kakao And the same is for for Line, which is the which is the Korean Google Maps. So they have different apps. For instance, of course, the language they also have. A, there's a language barrier. It is in business meetings. It might be that people are speaking Korean all the time. And what is what is interesting? What I haven't mentioned yet in Korea, for instance, it is also important to to trust your business partners and that you are very respectful. So in terms of international business meetings, Koreans are very, very polite, a bit reserved because they always want to, they always want to, always want to make sure that the guest has its absolute best time and is treated very, very well. So you have to adapt to this business culture that you let them open the door for you. You have to let them giving you presents and you always agree with everything and be thankful for everything. And this is how you show them also the respect. And also in terms of like how you hand over business cards, it's not only in Korean the way, but you always give business cards with two hands. Never exchange business cards only with one hand and always read the business card thoroughly and take your time. <laughs> so this is something in Asia in general is uh, different. I think this is something uh, everybody in the world can learn from Asian countries, being respectful with business partners mm -hmm. and people in general. It helps also in other regions of the world. And the countries that you mentioned, Japan and uh, South Korea and also the Chinese East Coast um, stand out in treating people very respectfully. Exactly. Yes, that's that's definitely one of the main differences in the business culture also it is a c-level market which means in business meetings or if you're interested in expanding to a new market make sure that it's either the ceo the coo or the chief of uh, sales department so you cannot just bring a marketing manager to the meeting because also in the meetings in 
in Asia, also especially in South Korea, there won't be sitting any sales manager there. It will be the CEO. So this is why it's also important. So it's, it is a C-level market. This might be also a good and interesting aspect you need to know. And South Korea, in comparison to all the other markets we have discussed today, is has a completely different COVID strategy. So we we were able to travel to South Korea in 2021, just in November. So we were there with six startups already because South Korea has the strategy similar to Europe to adapt to the pandemic and to work life through with infection cases and in comparison to mainland China, for instance, or Japan even, and Singapore and Hong Kong, they have very strict travel re restrictions. So I'm curious how those restrictions will change in 2022. But for everyone who wants to do, who needs to be in South Korea for business purposes, it is possible to, to enter South Korea. Yeah, possible, but I think they still have a lot of restrictions, in them, not restrictions, but a lot of uh, things they do internally, which are highly advanced. I think one is the attitude of the South Korean population. So everybody who's feeling sick stays home. Mm -hmm. So sick means uh, not uh, high fever. It means sneezing or feeling exactly. like having a cold, which also in China and in Japan, uh, is the signal for everybody to just stay home and don't mm -hmm. work, don't go out. And also what I saw in, in, in Seoul was that they measure uh, body temperature quite frequently and quite often, uh, like elevators, for example, that elevators mm -hmm. don't open when uh, the uh, technology behind it perceives a guest as having high fever. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of measures that help uh, to prevent the spread of viruses. Is it still the same? It is still the same, exactly. So pretty much every time you enter a shop, a restaurant, whatever, a hotel, a, an, an office, a, your temperature is measured. That's true. And in general, I guess, Asian people tend to be, I, I can't say Asian people, people from the gin target regions. So from the Asian markets we discussed, people are following kind of like rules and are also aware of the society in general and, and the others so as you said if you feel sick you stay at home or you wear a mask I mean at the moment in South Korea you wear your mask all the time but even before the pandemic people wore the, their mask already if they just had a cold in winter to be polite and respectful towards the others so this is something in general I really appreciate from their business cultures that business meetings are very respectful. You have to show them respect as well. And if you do, there is commitment and there is trust and there is also support and they want to have, and then they are also aiming to, or they aim to, to continue the cooperation and to continue the collaboration. And they will also be eager that there are fruitful results. Yeah, this is, I think, the main point of, from this uh, conversation. 
anybody who is interested in dealing with uh, Asian cultures and Asian people, learn about the culture, respect the culture, and then everything is fine. Everything works out fine. And of course, I think also Asian people understand that uh, their cultures are usually very unique and for Europeans, uh, sometimes hard to difficult to understand, uh, which is not a problem as long as uh, travelers or business people from other countries show that they make at least an effort to learn how things work there. And then everything is open and it's great. Um, one final question from, from my end. I think we have all regions that Gene is operating in discussed. Uh, and maybe one or the other listener in the audience is inspired to try setting up business with Asian countries. Um, I think generating visions and big ideas and big plans and glorious future uh, is nature of every entrepreneur. Where people sometimes struggle is the first proper step into a new direction. Uh, what's your advice to entrepreneurs, startup entrepreneurs who want to enter Asian markets? What is the best first step to get things going? The best first step is joining the Jin Network. <laughs> <laughs> so this is exactly why we, why Jin exists and why our services exist. We want to help at this first proper step. However, what can you do in advance? Make sure expanding to a new market, especially a new market overseas. So it is either it's the US market or it's the Asian markets. Expansion means time and requires a lot of resources. People's resources, time resources, and also sometimes financial resources. So you cannot expand to a new market quickly and just introduce and just involving and including them into your normal daily business. You really have to have the people and the time who are focusing on, ex on the expansion to the new market. And how we support you, we help you in the first steps that you find the direction where you need to go, which people or which connections you need to have. And we are helping with that. So if you have the resources and the time, come to the GIN network, benefit from our services, and then you receive the first contacts. You, need, need, you, you, you will learn the most important authorities and institutions you need to know and you need to you need to contact before you start your expansion. That's great advice. Lisa, is there any question open that you would like me to ask at the end that I've missed in the conversation? <laughs> I think that maybe why Asia again? So I think the Asian markets have a lot of potential. So you don't have to, you, you should not underestimate the Asian markets, and you shouldn't be too afraid of the barriers. The most barrier or the most popular barrier, which is always mentioned by startups is the language barrier, but you shouldn't be afraid of that because we have on the one hand, the support, there is on-site support through Austrian lawyers, Austrian consultants, 
and also especially in the startup community thankfully everything is very international anyway so don't be afraid and always think globally from the first moment on so don't start the traditional way from austria to germany to the uk to the us start thinking globally from the first moment on that's great advice lisa thank you very much for these insights into the asian market and the present conversation i wish you and your team all the best for 2022 thank you very much christian for the invitation and all the best for 2022 for you too have a great day bye <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.